Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing, are we Brits stuck in the past? Chris, are we Brits stuck in the past? Well, the thing that made me think so, really, was um, the uh, the recent World Cup performance and the um, sort of, uh, you know, renaissance of the Three Lions uh, football song, which effectively, um, you know, is a, is a, a sort of um, a run through our kind of tragic but heroic you know set of failures in 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 the past um and we have always at uh, as a, as the England football team we've always been haunted by past failures particularly in penalty shootouts and it got me thinking about this notion of why why on earth do one set of people who are totally detached from having been involved in a, a previous set of events why do they feel this uh, this millstone, this historical millstone around around their neck, um, and you know, are, are we as a nation? Uh, you know, we constantly hark back to particular historic events, which we we can talk about in in a minute, um, and that is the reason why. Uh, the team, when they did win a, a penalty shootout, finally, why there was this huge sort of moment of national catharsis of of having you know broken uh, this this you know hoodoo that we've that we've had. In the past. Also, I think just to define slightly more carefully, I think we probably agree that we're talking also about nostalgia here. So I think there's a positive element to it. So yeah. it, it, it is looking back on uh, previous setbacks and failures and defeats and things like that. But there's a certain, uh, as I say, nostalgia, a certain yeah, longing for it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's part of our, you know, uh, our national mythos, really. Yeah. So that being the case, um, I'd like to go straight into it by broadening it out, but still staying within Britain. Um, to talk about some other examples. So we've talked about um, football. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, obviously, uh, our whole national identity, or a large part of it, is shaped on our experience through the um, the Second World War in particular, but also the, you know, the, the First World War, and this notion of us kind of struggling alone, an island nation, you know, going on against superior external powers. And there's a, you know, a lot of that uh, identity has, has driven the debate around our current politics, you know, related to uh, things like, like Brexit. You see, you see that um, uh, come through a lot. So I, I think a lot of our political discourse is driven by um, sort of, you know, uh, um, imagery around conflict and conflict with an external power and us being, you know, the, the whole uh, very well alone, you know, mentality of of, uh, of us striving against an external superior yeah. opposition. I mean, just thinking back to, let's say, military defeat stroke, maybe near misses almost, um, but it's often part of a, a wider campaign or war that was a success, so things like uh, Dunkirk, for example, or thinking about the charge of the Light Brigade, um, Rourke's Drift, which not exactly a defeat, but 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 still, yeah. Um, and I'm sure there are many, many, many others that I've not not mentioned. Um, 
Nick, do you think we're right in defining it like this? Do you, and do you think we're different from other cultures, countries? Um, uh, I don't think I've got enough experience of other countries to say definitively. But I, I think, uh, you know, there's certainly um, no evidence as far as I can tell from my interaction with Europeans that they're less stuck in the past. But they may be they may be more willing inclined to focus on things that are sort of a, a good aspects of the history. There are the bad ones. Um, so you know, there's obviously going to be a self serving element in the things that you cling to. So you know, I, in fact, I had occasion to visit Napoleon's tomb when I was in Paris last year, and um, you know, they're certainly not shy about Napoleon. Um, he, you know, he was, uh, I suppose, the the in many ways the the high point of, of France as an empire. Um, in the same way that we we perhaps look back to our performance in the Second World War, so I, I don't know. I uh, and and the Americans certainly aren't. Um, you know, they're not. They're the story of America and particularly where it came from and how you know and how it uh, you, you know with the defining sort of principles of you know the the um, uh, of uh, manifest destiny. You know, and, mm. and the idea that you know that they have uniquely. Kind American of exceptionalism. Yeah, unique, exactly. yeah, and a uniquely kind of good, great culture that they have managed to develop in their in their breaking away from uh, you know Britain and, uh, and and forging this new nation. Everyone's got that, right? So I don't, I don't know. I'm not gonna. I don't think that we've, we we. I know we cling to the idea that we're particularly focused on history, but I don't think we are. The the, the question is, okay, so what's good and bad about thinking about you know your history? There's lots of questions here. Um, I think there's a kind of uh, less interesting question which is um you know history is information right obviously that's good you can't have enough information history gives you information about the present it's insane to ignore history and you know history might give you so you know things like the fact that we you know you people look at donald trump and go always you know it's a new hitler type situation and he's you know what he's doing to illegal immigrants is uh, you know a bit like what the what hitler did to the, what the germans did to the jews and you know it's it, we've got to kind of inure ourselves against against this nazis the nazis rising up again um it is you know you, you hugely that's that's really leaning far too heavily on indicators of potential future Nazism. But it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that we look back and go, well, okay, why did the Nazis succeed? Let's let's seek out indicators of, you know, early indicators of Nazism and try and nip it in the bud. You know, Nazism was bad. So we should try our best to stop uh, to stop it if we see it happening. You know, um, so the debate really is not, should we be looking at history and guiding our future behaviour by by that but you know the extent to which we should and the extent to which things are different now um so that's you know learning from the past right so learning understanding the world and understanding humanity and the kinds of things that makes it do one thing or another uh and and adapting accordingly that's fine i think the interesting thing which is what chris is alluding to i think is this issue of history almost uh, as a as a, a guide of to a guide to preferences and, and i'm thinking particularly there are several questions here but you know the fact that we have um you know let's say lost a whole bunch of uh penalty shootouts and then suddenly we win one is is uh you know makes us feel exultant in the same way that watching a film which has the three-act structure 
is is good. There is the sense of a historical imbalance that needs to be corrected, an injustice that needs to be corrected. Um, you know, just like in every in the three act structure of a you know a standard kind of screenplay or or book. You know, you you introduce the heroes, they get given a challenge, they fail, and then they work out some way of succeeding, and then in the end they succeed. And that's we love that. It seems to be very universal behind almost every story, and. Um, and I feel like that's that's part of you know that's that's why we like it when things turn out that way you know when when you're presented with this impossible challenge which you eventually overcome. Um, but there's all sorts of uh, philosophical questions there, like particularly where does why, why do we identify with um, you know people who are living on this in this particular geographical area uh, you know a thousand years ago? Why do we identify with the um, Anglo-Saxons you know against the French? I mean, we, we're just as French uh, as, you know, the, the I mean, we, 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 we might as well identify with uh, the, Normans, the French, yeah. with the Normans. Mm. Um, I, I was uh, interested a few uh, watching watching um, Ainsley Harriet on um, uh, Who Do You Think You Are a few years ago. And he discovered when they looked back at his family history that he was uh, descended from both slaves and a slave owner. Mm. But, of course, he, you know, identified with the slave side of that. And and almost felt uh, abhorrence at the slave owner part of him, um, which is weird, really. I mean, why wouldn't he? He's just as he's got just as much right to say, "Gosh, my family was a was a you know were sl- slave owners." Isn't that terrible? Um, so you know, this question of where we get the sense of identity from, because we're a whole whole different bunch of people than we were, you know, even 150 years ago. What? Why? We have no more right to see see ourselves as the you know the inheritance inheritors of a Victorian legacy, uh, or to take part in any narrative that might have started then, as you know the modern day Germans or or people from you know Inuits for that matter. Yeah, I mean, you're. I think you're right. You got to the heart of it there. I think this is about identity, um, which reminds me of uh, I once knew this American girl, um, and I got into a big argument with her about why she's so sort of. Um, you know, proud American exceptionalism and the revolution, all that kind of business. Uh, because although she was born up and born and brought up in the states, both her parents were English, and so I was I was sort of calling her out on this, and we never really fully resolved it. But it's that um, um, assuming, or what's the word? It's the adoption, adoption, assimilation. yeah, assimilation. Yeah. There we go into an attractive narrative. Um, Chris, yeah, well, I was, I was just going to say, I think you know. There are there are elements of um, harking back to the history. You know, if if it is about identity, and you know, we are largely um, formed into nation states, and you know, one of the key ways of of giving us uh, loyalty and an association with that state is to create a story about it, and you know, that story has to be in the past and and uh historic so that's obviously a key factor and that's that's a good thing it means you know um people will do positive things on behalf of this entity the state uh because of because of the history um so i think you know it it has positive benefits i think where you know where we um where we where we need to guard against uh history and and national is when nationalism comes into it and you have things like um you know historical en- enmities that you can't um 
that you can't get get past. So, you know, it's not a terribly attractive trait in the English national psyche that we are so anti-German, for example, or anti-French uh, or a whole range of other nations you might care, care to pick. But um, that, that inability to um, step outside of our, our our history and say yes, okay, you know, here are the here are the the positive aspects of a of a historical identity, but you know, we no longer need to feel a sense of um, animosity towards countries who we've had you know um, conflicts with in 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 the past. Well, that's an it's, interesting one because um, we probably don't really need to cover in any detail the detail uh, why it is that Germans. Don't modern day Germans don't hold an animosity towards the UK? Uh, it, you know, that in any sense relates to the Second World War um, because they don't really want to have to think about it, right? So, but you look at the English and the French. Now, I go to France uh, most years, and the French love it. The French love it just as much as we do. The fact that the two nations uh, hate each other. They're loving Brexit. They love to see us twisting on the knife. This you know, and, oh, exactly, yeah. and. Um, and, and I'm not sure that's really a terribly bad thing anymore. I mean, you could you could draw an analogy between, you know, the rivalry between two football teams or something, which, you know, personally, I sort of would rather went away. And I think in a way, I find it a bit irritating um, because it, it, it always feels like it's something you've got to cover off whenever you're interacting with the French. But um, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not har- it's not that harmful. I think it's okay because I, mean, I love a bit a, of fun. Yeah, I love a bit of uh, anti Frenchness, and um, I revel in it as well. And I'm a big fan of the Sharp novels by Bernard Cornwall. I love them, absolutely love them. Uh, but equally, I've got a number of French fans, and you know, I think on a personal level, it's you know, I think they're lovely people um, or lovely individuals. And but it's, but I think the, the 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 danger is if let's say on a wider sense, societal sense, and let's let's say with sort of national press, and I think it is exactly the kind of thing that can 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 yeah, move towards things like Brexit. Yeah. And, you know, exactly. But I think it's more this notion of not of getting locked into your history. Uh, and that has, you know, that has positives as well as negatives. Like the positives are, you know, if you look at the uh, the way the Americans have enshrined their constitution, written, you know, uh, uh, you know, a couple of hundred years ago or whatever, uh, and um, that actually being a positive guard against the whims, you know, temporal whims of whatever government happens to be in place at the time or or whatever, you know, the zeitgeist is of the of the nation. Uh the, this this idea that you are sort of locked into uh um something historic and also that history gives a sense of legitimacy. So, you know, the 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 um British monarchy is a thousand years old and that that in itself means it's a it's a good bulwark walk against, you know, um uh, democratically elected leaders doing things, you know, being being demagogues and doing something uh, not in the national interest. Um, so, so in one sense, locking yourself into your history, it's a bit like you know, it's a bit like Odysseus lashing himself to the to the mast, you know, as he goes past the sirens. It will keep you charting a sort of uh, stable course. On the other hand, it can be bad and prevent innovation. So, you know, many aspects of the Constitution are, are not brilliant thinking about, you know, uh, the right to bear arms and, uh, you know, what's happening with, with um, gun usage in, in America. Or... Yeah, well, well you, yeah, but you wouldn't be saying that if you were, if you were pro-gun. No, OK, but, uh, you know, take something like... Um, uh, the the um ins- the insistence on uh the literal truth of say the the Quran and the insistence on um remaining uh dependent on that that 
text which was written, you know, 1400 years ago and and um, having to maintain a sense that that is that the rules written down in that text must be applied today regardless of context that that kind of interpretation uh is 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 you know problematic to a society that's trying to adapt to what's going on um you know there may be things which happen now which are without yeah, but, precedent but i mean on the, the other hand societies which over innovate so, so so this is essentially why i'm sort of a small c conservative in that we don't we just don't really understand how society works well enough to ever be able to um uh, to ever be able to really be confident that some new, uh, even uh, they, you know, well-evidenced and attractive-looking policy is going to have a positive effect, and um, I think you know, focusing, saying, well, you know, th- we've done it this way, uh, and it, and we're still here, right? We haven't all died. We've been doing it this way for for you know a thousand years. So let's just leave it that way. Is not a bad heuristic. I yeah, mean, I mean, it's it, a good default setting. But my point is, if you don't, you know, look at um, uh, look at the the uh, British Admiralty's um, response to submarines. You know, this this notion uh, here, here along came an innovation. You know, and in, at the at the turn of the the twentieth century. Uh, you know, there's this key naval innovation, and there was this sense. In fact, there's there's a quote by whoever the the um, first lord of the admiralty was at the time, saying, you know, th- these are these are sort of tools of the weaker nation. I.e., it's it, you know, it's just not British to have a submarine, and and you know, obviously we did a, 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 you know a, um, adopt them uh, later on, but that um, there, there's obviously a happy medium somewhere between you know complete rigidity and adherence to historical tradition and innovation and the abandonment of historical tradition and somewhere in the middle there's a sweet spot which is don't throw everything yeah out, but, but i think i mean i feel like we have to operate the base on the basis of heuristics here so i think i don't i don't think we can come up we can apply we can really apply i mean i i think you you could in an ideal world where everyone was capable of doing this, say, well, we're going to work it out. We're going to work out exactly how much weight we should put on the past um, and and the fact that this system has worked well, to, to you know, and how much we're going to weight we're going to put on our new model, which we think ought to be better, and how we, you know, how we try try something new without really breaking the stuff that we know is working. I think you could do that, but in real life, that isn't just isn't how change happens. You know, change happens very incrementally, and it happens because of, um, you know, the odd person with a bit of an idea that seems to take off, and you know, it attempts to impose it from the top down, attempts to be overly kind of um, technocratic, are always doomed to failure. You, know, yeah. you always end up. With, so, so I, I sort of think actually we just need. Uh, I think that a battle of heuristics is is yeah, is not and a I, bad and I can see of, what they are. You know, would be your default setting is stick with the old way but you know at the point at which something is obviously proving a competitive advantage either a political system or whatever it might be I mean I I harken back to football again and um, you know the Hungarian team of the 1950s uh, 
turned up and we you know we invented the game and and uh we got thrashed by them on on two separate occasions both in hungary and uh and and at those wily magyars <laughs> the the magical magyars as they were were known and right. frank pushkas and uh and it it forced us to acknowledge that the way we had been playing this game which we created was redundant now you know so maybe there's a there's a an element to right stick with what you've got but at the point at which it's obvious what somebody else has got is better, use that. I mean, muddling through has always worked in the past, so we shouldn't <laughs> try and change that too much, I think. Um, we need to uh, finish shortly. Um, is there anything anyone wants to say before? There's something I want us to round up on. Um, Just a little, I mean, you know, you could. there's a cognitive analogy here, which is, um, you know, about, about we, know, we know that, you know, humans don't operate as you if you were to design an ideal thinker an ideal you know belief former someone who learnt from the way the world works um in a in an idealized sort of bayesian way uh, it wouldn't really look very much like the way that humans learn right so you know our, when artificial intelligence comes along it's not going to be uh it's it's not going to it's not going to reason about the world in a way that um you know that humans do so when sorry general artificial intelligence comes along um but we've evolved these really robust uh, heuristics. So, you know, if you get bitten by a snake, it makes you more likely to run away from a sock that resembles a snake because you've learned, first of all, that there are snakes nearby. And secondly, that getting bitten by a snake is is unpleasant, right? So, uh, you, you know, you've, you've, you've now got this heuristic run away from long tubular-shaped things. And that'll do. That's fine, right? I mean, that's, that Unless that you've works. got cold feet. Uh, you, you, well, you know, and then, you, then presumably, if you lived in an Arctic environment where there, uh, where there were no snakes at all, you'd be inclined to run towards socks. I don't know, but the point is that we've evolved these heuristics <laughs> for reasoning about the world, uh, which do a, a good enough job that there's no reasonable reason to try and, you know, it would, it's not cost effective to try and dis- ditch them all and, and spend your entire life thinking before you do everything. Well, what's my expected utility? Um, and, I, and I guess, you know, as a society, it's the same. Like the past is there. It's not, you can't do anything about it. You don't want to, you don't want to get rid of it. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, there you go. What's the sort of, what are the best ways of, uh, of handling it? Okay. Uh, just to finish off, um, I just want to take us in a different tack for a moment. Um, thinking about history, thinking about nostalgia. Um, you've got six months to go back um, to any point in global history, um, where and when would you go? Yeah, well, I think I think you've got to go a long way to um, to beat sort of uh, you know um, early, the olden days. The olden days, yeah, that's right. Yeah, oh, halcyon days. Uh, the um, the sort of medieval period of 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 knights and castles i think that is you know obviously at the time it was probably pretty unpleasant but um you know that romanticism the chivalry the um uh, yeah just the the dynamics of society at the, the time. good old, the crusades i'd love to go on a crusade yeah yeah maybe yeah yeah that kind of thing okay uh nick i think i'd ha- i victorian london hmm. oh i'd love that if I didn't come back with syphilis, I'd consider it a failure. <laughs> all of every, all of the the world of D- that Dickens inhabited, you know, I might even go go and meet him. It'd be great. And then seeing, you know, seeing seeing the Queen Victoria 
going into all the pubs and the you know seeing the steamships and the steam trains you know for changing the world um and uh yeah that, that would have been just just brilliant I mean, I often play this game with myself and I, with my children as well and talk, ask exactly the same question. Um, and sometimes I think I'd like to go back, um, actually make it more personal, go back to a time when my father was alive and go and see him early on in his life. Um, Have you seen Back to the Future? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I definitely shouldn't do that then, right? Um, sometimes I think uh, Rio de Janeiro in the 1950s and 60s would be pretty cool. Yeah, the great music. Yeah. And, and like not so much violence, you know, um, and but and also Egyptians, maybe, um, or you know, given that I've got an interest in religion, going back to um, Palestine around the year zero AD or 33 AD. Yeah, but have you seen the life of Brian? <laughs> However, um, I think for me, what sort of probably trumps all of those is actually pretty close to what Nick said, um, which is high Victorian Britain. And again, I, I mentioned the Sharp novels, which are a little bit earlier, but um, which are set in the Napoleonic era. But I'm a big fan of, of um, I think his name is George MacDonald Fraser and the Flashman Diaries, um, essentially a, a Victorian rogue adventurer going around the, all sorts of different hotspots in the world. And yeah, I'd quite like, I'm slightly sort of ashamed to say it, but like sort of, I'd like to be a, a British imperialist and, and a soldier, and you know, off in Africa or Asia. Or so we've got Chris on the Crusades. You're off. You're off conquering, conquering the world. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Nick's got syphilis. Yeah, I'm in. A, I'm in. A, I'm in a bordello somewhere in Southwark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, chaps. Thank you very much. Um, let's wrap up there. Um, thank you to our audience as always for listening um, this has been the Cognitive Engineering Podcast I'm Fraser McGrew I've been here with Chris Rag and Nick here of Aleph Insights thank you and until next time goodbye mm-hmm.